0: Hello, and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, with Cheeky Scientist, and today we will be talking to Laura Motemina PhD, uh, on the topic of from postdoc to CEO. Very excited about today's show. Uh, Laura was managing a startup and has a lot of experience in industry, so you'll want to uh, tune in and listen to the full show. If you do want to learn more about transitioning into industry or starting a job uh of any kind, including starting a company in industry, you can go to PhDsGetHired.com. That's PhDs Gethired.com. If you want to get all of our podcasts and blogs sent to you directly, you can go to our website, cheekyscientist.com, and sign up there. We also have a lot of free materials available to you, including our new complete resume guide uh, ebook, which you can get for free. Um, So go to cheekyscientist.com and we will send you those materials. So we are going to jump in now with Laura. With us today, I'm very excited to have on Laura Mota. Hi, Laura. How are you?
1: Hey, Isaiah. I'm doing well. Great happy have you. international women's day to everyone
0: yes perfect timing for this i if it,
1: <laughs> i know uh, right i didn't realize that <laughs> a few days ago I'm like, yes this is awesome awesome synergy here <laughs> yeah,
0: fantastic i uh, I'm, I'm i've been looking forward to this we've had a lot of people uh, look forward to this too i'm, I'm excited to jump in uh, i want to give you a little bit of a background on laura um so Laura received her PhD in biological chemistry from UT Southwestern Medical Center. Uh, she worked as a postdoc research fellow uh, in, in uh, Dr. Gardner's group there and uh, CUNY's Advanced Science Research Center as well. That was part of the, the, uh, the group that you worked with. Uh, Laura is currently the co-founder and CEO of Optologics. Did I do it right? Yeah, you got it. Nailed it, finally. Uh, it's a <laughs> we pro- practiced a
1: lot before it started, everyone. Shh, so. Don't, don't <laughs> this uh,
0: she's, It's a provider of light control genetic toolkits for biomedical research. Um, she is also a graduate of the 2015 BioCamp Health Tech Entrepreneurship Lab in New York City and the 2016 Health um, Wildcatters Accelerator. Mm-hmm. Right, And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it, what an accelerator is for those of you who are interested too. Um, Laura also has experience as a business manager. She's, she's working in a business manager role as well. Um, this is something that you'll see a lot with <laughs> People running businesses, there's a lot more. The walls aren't there anymore. And it's not just the walls between academia and industry, but also in various roles in industry. You'll often see people working in director roles at the same time that they're managing other companies, at the same time that they're sitting on boards of other companies or involved with accelerators or VC firms. So this is all very common. You have a lot of great experience, Laura. Really excited to have you on. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm very glad to be um talking to your group. I've heard quite a bit, as I told you, but um, could you give me a quick summary about when it was founded and, and what you guys are up to now?
0: Oh, I'm being interviewed now. So, uh, now, so Laura and I <laughs> did talk it. About, yeah. yeah, so Laura, Laura and I talked a little bit about how she found out about cheeky scientists. She gave a talk at UT Southwestern and a bunch of cheekies were there. As you know, we have a quite the cheeky presence in, uh, in Texas overall, but especially uh, near UT. Um, I think there might be some of you on here. So Cheeky started in 2014 and just with the goal of helping PhDs get into corporate jobs. So there's, there's my elevator pitch. And uh, <laughs> I think I think there's great synergy here because a lot of, uh, of what we do is helping PhDs remember their value, we like to say, like mm-hmm. see themselves as being able to be managers, executives, CEOs.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, this
0: is something you've done yourself. And I, I guess... You know, we have a lot of people who haven't even worked in business at all here, wondering if they can do it, if they're valuable. So maybe we can just start real small and talk about your transition. Like, how how did you get to where you are, at least the initial steps? Like, why did you decide to leave academia? And then what did the first steps look like for leaving it?
1: Sure thing. I think we'll have to start when uh, I was a postdoc, and that was at UT Southwestern, as you mentioned. I was working with Kevin Gardner. and he- in that lab, my my project was to develop a a um, photo sensor into a light activatable tool, and I was excited about that because I felt it had a sort of um, called a transitional or character or feature to it because it could become a product essentially. And so we we start. I started on that work and. Um, It turned out to be, it worked, first of all. Second of all, the university thought it was worthy of a patent application. So that's kind of how that started for me, is that I thought this could be something that could be applied outside of my lab, outside of the university. And um, I thought that was really neat. And at the same time, I was going through, like everyone, we're all thinking about our next steps in our careers, what we want them to be. And although I loved my time in academia, I, I, I knew that it was not a job for me, The that I didn't want to be a PI and, and have a group of graduate students. It's just I wanted something that was more applicable, something where a job in our, our career where we would be. I would be in a role where we would were taking something out of the lab and we were putting it out there for people to use and it could be more marketable, more uh, usable. And so this opportunity of creating my own technology that could be commercialized was very appealing to me. Hmm. Um, so so this was, we're talking about like 2011, 2012. And uh, one thing you should know, you probably already know this, is that patents take a long time. So they take a, on average five years or longer. Uh, So in that time, while our patent was being evaluated, our application, uh, we started working through the technology transfer office to find a suitable biotech company that would license our technology. That means that they would pay the school a certain amount to then commercialize the technology. And we did get pretty far with one big company. And, you know, we, we tried it in different applications and it worked out, but uh, one of the things about Big Pharma and Big Biotech is that they change projects quite quickly. They need to pivot. And so the people we were working with got let go and the project was kind of dropped. Um, but me and my advisor were still very pumped up about the technology and we thought, this is a sign that we should go into business by, our, by ourselves. Mm. And so this was around 2014 when uh, Kevin Gardner was recruited to the City University of New York. He was going to be the director of this new institute, the ASRC. And so that brought opportunities for me to move to New York, uh, keep working in his lab, but then also participate in accelerators, like the one you you mentioned that I was part of. It's called the uh, BioNTech uh, Entrepreneurship Lab. It's ELab for short. Okay. And it's kind of an incubator, uh, which is different from an accelerator because you don't receive any funding Uh, but it's a free program. You just have to apply. And in our case, it gave us the opportunity to sort of pretend that we were a company. So you don't have to actually form a company yet to be part of the program. You can just have a really neat idea and sort of a plan to
0: commercialize it. And this was the accelerator?
1: This was an incubator.
0: Okay, and maybe you can just for everybody here,
1: define
0: quickly incubator, accelerator.
1: Yeah, incubator is... uh, The main distinction between the two is that an accelerator usually provides funding to the startup. And these are both things that facilitate startups uh, in their development process. So usually both of them will um, pair you with mentors. And these are people that have business experience, marketing experience, uh, financial uh, dealing with financial accounting stuff. So these are people that volunteer their time and they help you flesh out your business plan or or any other thing you're sorting through. Um, But yeah, that's the main distinction. Incubator, they don't provide funding to the startups. and accelerator, they do. And in exchange for that funding, they usually ask for some percentage of your, some equity in exchange for that money.
0: And incubators don't at all? Like, do they provide workspace? Yeah, uh...
1: usually they don't. And uh, an incubator can also just be a place where a startup can rent a space, like, Like the Y Combinator, which is a big incubator Uh, for biotech companies, you can usually rent a space there and run your business out of there. And they come with great amenities and in in a group environment, which when you're a small company, you really do need to have more people around, but they might not necessarily be part of your company. They're just entrepreneurs like yourself.
0: Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, so you so you were in the incubator at this stage.
1: I was in the incubator at that stage. We're talking around twenty fifteen. Yes, twenty fifteen. No, yes. Sorry, Uh, the January twenty fifteen. We were accepted into the Elab Incubator in New York City. We were part of one of twenty groups, and uh, during that time, we came up with the name of the Logics. Kevin and I, who was my advisor, we also. started thinking about, okay, who is our target customer? You know, how are we going to sell our technology? Like, how is it going to be packaged, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a great exercise. We took those four months and just fleshed out all those details. And at the end of that uh, program, we gave a, I gave a pitch, which was 10 minutes long in front of around 200 um, investors and executives in pharma and, and the idea was that you put yourself out there. Whenever you're pitching, you're trying to raise funds. But in our case, we were really trying to get feedback on what they thought about our company. What does it have potential? Um, you know, maybe find a partner. Like a, like I was saying to you, we tried to partner with bigger companies. Maybe something like that. So it's a great place to network, uh, both for finding potential partners of the company, but also potential investors or just people that could be mentors too, because. At this stage, the incubator provided some like business, a small boot camp for, for scientists uh, to learn some of the business basics. But you know, really you need somebody to to that you can ask those questions to on a weekly basis or something, because as you're as an entrepreneur, as you're working through your ideas and how you're actually gonna commercialize something, a lot of questions come up and a lot of times, instead of Google, you just want to talk to somebody, so having mentors really really helps, and these are all fellow entrepreneurs or people in the industry that um, you know want to help a lot of people want to help you when you're an entrepreneur so that's what I found out
0: yeah, and I think so what I like about what you're saying so far is and you talked a little bit about your path or transition. You went from postdoc had this great idea, started working mm-hmm. about with it with a company um and then they dropped it. You wanted to keep it going, so you started to form your own company, and mm-hmm. then you look for incubators, accelerators to help you, uh, which is easier yeah. than you might think. Especially if you're—I mean, even not even doesn't even have to be a big city anymore, like New York. A lot of cities will have some type of incubator, um, yeah, to get involved in. I love what you're saying about your network really matters here. You want to be around people you can talk to weekly who are doing business that can help you um, avoid mistakes, etcetera. Yeah. So it's. It's not like this magical thing. So if some of you are on here and you're thinking about starting your own company or a business or getting involved in a startup, um, it, do- it doesn't have to be this huge barrier to entry that you might think it is. I guess, Mike, the, this leads me to my next question. What were some of the challenges that you had, right? So obviously, I mean, I, whether it's funding or getting around the right people or recruiting people to help, like, what yeah. are some of the challenges you can talk about for those, uh, those who are here that I'd be wanting to either start their own business or work with a startup.
1: Mm -hmm. So let me start on that with the first sort of order of business that we had to get through, which is after we finished that incubator program, it was around April, May of 2015. And in June of 2015, we actually formed our LLC, like officially registered the name of the company in the state government and, Mm -hmm. you know, became a company on paper. And the next order of business, the first order of business, is to actually obtain a license from the university who owns the technology. Because any, you probably already know this, but any technology, if you're working in academia, that you develop is owned by the university. So first thing you do is you 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 ask them for a meeting, tell them you're interested in licensing this. Can we put together an agreement that allows us to do this? And in our case, we had been talking to the tech transfer office since we filed the patent application. So we had a good rapport. We were in touch with them, told them about our idea to form our own company mm-hmm. to commercialize this. And so thankfully, when the time came around that we were ready to talk to them, we had a plan of what we wanted to do. They were very receptive and they, they, they sat down with us and, and we, we came to an agreement on how uh, we might, own the, we might uh, license the rights for a given period of time to try to get this off the ground. Um, so that was the first challenge. We, we had to work with an attorney uh, who put together an agreement. And so I, I got to that point by one, by using one of the mentors, not using, but working with, sorry, working with one of the mentors that I met at eLab in New York City who had worked in a tech conference before. And so she had experience with this and she was really a, a close mentor to mine, to me, because um, she explained to me like, this is a hard road ahead and you know, I'm gonna help you to learn how to negotiate, to learn you know, what are good terms for you in an agreement. And uh, she's a partner in the company, so she owns some equity. We kind of came to that agreement because we didn't have any money to give her a salary or to pay for her consulting. Uh, hours, but, um, she was a very generous person with her time and with her advice. Honestly, she was a great friend and still is. But, um, yeah, that was a second challenge is to, okay, hire an attorney, think about what the agreement should look like. What are the terms? Uh, and getting yourself familiar with those things is, was a challenge for me too, was, uh, reading agreements and figuring out, <laughs> What's a term sheet? First of all, that's the first thing they tell you. Hey, can we draw up a term sheet? And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so those are the things you have to familiarize yourself with, with is agreements, legal agreements, either with university, with strategic partners, things like that. Those are things that I had to learn on the fly.
0: And that was one question that came in from Ralph, for example. We always had this from PhDs. Like, did you get any other sort of certification in uh, operations or program management? Uh, or did you just learn as you went?
1: I did just learn as on the fly as I went, yeah. yes. Um, there was no time, honestly, to go through uh, any sort of uh, training and to get a certificate. Although I have heard that project management, program management are... You know, good things to have under your belt, but um, in my case, I had to—I had no time to do that. I just had to do it.
0: Yes, and and so let's let's focus on now, and then we'll start filling in the gap. So, what what do you do currently on a day to day basis? Now that you have the 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 company set up and you've done all these regulatory things with the university, what does your day look like? Is it a lot of innovation, a lot of looking for funding? Um, What does it look Mm -hmm. like?
1: Yeah. So it is. uh, Well. I should say after after getting my our initial funding from Health Wellcatters, which was thirty thousand um, dollars, that money was used to travel to conferences, pay for booths at those conferences, um, also to launch the product. That meant, for in our case, uh, putting in an order with a DNA manufacturer and putting in order for tubes to be put put the DNA in and boxes to put the DNA in. Uh, and ordering lamps because our system is light activated. So we used all that money to get product and get situated to go out and and talk to people at conferences and and gain some customers. And after that, um, my plan was also to raise another second round of funding. Um, This was, we're talking about 2017, last year, and a little bit of 2016. So all of my time was spent emailing, getting on the phone, traveling to conferences, being at booths, talking to customers. Um and we also fulfilled orders we got orders in we were I was filling in those orders um, I also had uh, a couple of interns that uh, were working with me remotely uh, they would prepare some marketing documents for me and so I would have weekly meetings with them um, and yeah so mostly talking to customers trying to get customers uh, preparing slides making product sheets uh, talking to our academic collaborators that were already early adopters of the technology and getting updates on their research with the technology. Um, so yes, a lot of the phone, a lot of email with people. Yes.
0: Yeah. So and 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 when you're trying to get something off the ground like this, it, it sounds like you're wearing a lot of different hats. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, some project management. Um, you know, you're you're doing you're present presenting, you're pitching.
1: You're yeah. doing
0: a lot of cross functional work. You're doing a lot of. Um, Trying to get people to understand the technology and the value of it, and putting together materials, collateral, right? Yeah. I mean, what are some of the like if we had to make a list of the most important skills in okay, turn- Oh, sorry.
1: Back. It's all right. <laughs> it's
0: my it's my all office. Right.
1: I haven't moved, and the lights went out.
0: <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, so, what what are some of the most important skills you would say that PhDs need? And we call these, you know, the transferable skills, not the technical mm-hmm. skills. But, but what, yeah. what are the ones I've listed? What, what are the ones that you have found to be the most valuable and where you are at now?
1: Um, I think organizational skills and time management skills, because as an entrepreneur, like you you pointed out, you're wearing a lot of hats. That means you're juggling a lot of tasks and you need to be able to um, um, Manage your time. You need to say, okay, today I'm going to dedicate myself to making cold calls all day long or, you know, getting, uh, these, this newsletter done so I can send out to our email list. You have to really prioritize things and be able to knock them out in a, in a orderly fashion to like top priority to least priority. Um, another thing is your, your, I think it's people skills or soft people, soft skills, like people skills, right? Yes you know, one of the challenges for me was to be more um, open and not shy. I was very, very shy in the beginning and my career. And this forced me to really get out of that shell because like you mentioned, you have to pitch you, that means in front of people, but also when you're just networking and introducing yourself to people. And I think i, I I dare to say the majority of us who are used to being in the lab and just speaking to our benchmate, we don't really venture out. But there are a lot of uh, extroverted people also in science, but I think that was a big challenge for me was to just not be afraid and jump in and talk and and be more energetic and excited. And the fact that I was really into my technology, that helped, that was the base because then I would talk to people about the technology all day long. I, I liked it that much.
0: Yeah. I mean, communication clearly important. And you might think, I mean, your business, what you do is very technical, right? Like you're, yes. you, I mean, what's your elevator pitch? Like if I say, what, okay, what does Optologics do? What, What is it?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's we provide light activated DNA based technologies for biomedical research. Um, that's so, basically our one liner. Yeah. And And then I have to explain what that is, right, to the non-scientists. And that, actually, when you asked me what are the biggest challenges, uh, one of the things I wanted to say is that communicating a technical thing like my technology to investors who are a lot of times not technical, but interested in health and biotech, that is a challenge. And especially with our technology, which is a gene expression tool, you have to go over what's a gene, a gene turns into protein. Uh, And then you use a, a transcription factor that's light activated to turn on a gene like that's all very complicated. And so you have to to break it down to them in a minute while you're talking to them over wine hour or wherever you are. Right.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think that's crucial. It's a crucial skill. So for those of you listening you know, what we've talked about in terms of elevator pitches and networking for your job search is applicable here. This stuff is valuable and is going to continue to be valuable. And like Laura said, her elevator pitch was highly technical. You would not listen, you know, light activated DNA, biological systems. This is is technical. But Mm -hmm. the skills she's talking about on top of that are all the transferable skills, communicating that to people, Who are not in her field, who don't have that expertise? Like I hear it, it sounds cool, but uh, you know, how is this going to help? I have no idea. So Mm -hmm. that is a is a crucial skill. Even as a CEO, you're going to spend a lot of your time, right? Yeah, communicating to other types of people to get them to understand and find the value in it.
1: Yeah, and and you know, to get better at it, you just have to practice. That's why you have to force yourself to get out there. If we're talking about you know finding a job just get out there and go to events and, and talk to people because you're you're going to have some bad experiences for sure but you're going to get over them and you just have to practice and go and talk to people
0: yes and i, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about what do you look for when you want somebody to help you you've talked about how you've had to negotiate equity and these different things which we can circle back to but let's say there's somebody on here right now that's like this is amazing i have a background in this i want to work for you Uh, what is some of the things that you know that they have to have beyond the technical skills to be able to work with a a startup that's your size? Mm,
1: What they have to be able to do. I I think they have to be willing to, um, to do a lot of research in the beginning into let's say an agreement, like uh, let's say we're talking about a um, distribution or sales agreement. They have to go and learn what that, what that is, get examples, uh, they have to be able to to research what are the comparables in the market for an agreement like this, like all that stuff, type of stuff is just research that you have to be able to do in the beginning and then present that to um, the person, me or whoever you're working for and uh, be able to, to make a, a recommendation as to what you should do or what you should have in an agreement. And be really sure about yourself when you're talking about this. You have to uh, be very direct and just very um, certain about your answer. But you can, and I know that feels weird. But I, what I mean by certain is that based on these results or this data, I can make this recommendation. But I'm also making these assumptions because that's what you have to do in business, like in everything else. Is you you have to do your best with what you have and. Because it's not easy to find comparables or examples of agreements. All of this is not easy, but you do the best with what you have. So that's one definite skill that that you should or um, duty in your job that you should get comfortable with if you want to join a
0: startup. I think that's great. And uh, I think that touches a little bit on perspective, right? The academic perspective versus the startup or business perspective. So when you say you have to be confident when you're talking about, I think what you mean is you can't really talk about it the way an academic would saying you yeah, this suggests or we think this uh-huh. like you have to take your data and say this is great because you're trying to get yes. investors all this stuff and, and it doesn't mean not being you're you're ethical 100 for sure uh-huh. you're talking about data that actually matters but yes. you have to believe in what you're doing and your ability to adapt and to put it into something that's translatable and will, will help right
1: you that's, nailed it yeah it's exactly right because and you have to get comfortable with that yes with with switching gears let's call it that and being more okay this i'm showing you the data but this is what i believe in, and you know be very certain about that you can't be like like you said in academia like oh what well, kind of suggests or maybe indicates it's very soft language you have yes. to be more hard and precise
0: i love right. that you're saying that right and so that's and as a PhD, if you understand that, you can shift between both, just like Laura's mm-hmm. saying. You could talk to the academic, the researcher side, and stuff and say, you know, we think this, you can speak. More of the academic, softer, passive language. But then, when you're in the board of executives or people who are just like, uh, you know, VCs or whatever, that are just looking to invest, they want to hear your competence in what you're doing. Yeah. You have this and you can take it and do something with it. And it's hard for a lot of academics to understand that, even with resumes, right? For those of you who have talked about this, you write your yeah. resume as if it's a very passive, like a CV of what you've done instead of a persuasive marketing document. Uh-huh. You have to market yourself at the startup, and I think that's a great topic that you brought up, Laura.
1: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, especially the resume example. And uh, it's like, you, and it's like you said, you're not abandoning uh, ethics, or it just it makes you maybe feel a little uncomfortable in the beginning, but it's not a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. a new. It's it's you have to adapt to what that new world is, the business world is, and that's how people are. And yeah. that's how you have to be that way as well. Yeah, You're not going to lie. Nobody's saying to lie. It's course. just, you just have to be more assertive and firm.
0: Right. By uh, your, your data, yeah. And I like yeah. how, uh, as academics, we think that uh, being assertive means you're lying. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can be assertive about what you believe can happen. And yeah. that could end up being wrong, and that's fine. You just adjust course.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I think that's that's a great insight. And we've had a lot of questions about I guess more of the the process stuff, right? So, or, okay. or the, even the commercialization or business side of things. So okay. you have this product or this technology. So mm-hmm. what are you doing in terms of, are you still in the testing phase? Are you getting early adopters? Have you commercialized at all? Have you, do you have a, mm-hmm. uh, people that you've sold to what, what what's going on there if, if sure. you know, whatever you can share in terms of the business
1: yeah so i can share a couple of things i'll start by saying that we launched our product on the market in november of 2016 so it's been over a year that we've been selling product and we sell it through our website and through a distributor distributor in japan um we're, we're trying to gain distributors and uh, global distributors and distributors here in the U.S. as well. In uh, our product it consists of DNA plasmids and an illumination device that um, those plasmids were going to cells or wh- whatever sort of model organism our customer is working in. And our customers are, I should say, clarify, they are researchers working in academia.
0: This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.